it's Ben Gooley here from MeTV, and you're listening to Cinema Beef Podcast. I did a first one, but it wasn't too good, so at least you're hearing this one. to Synth Beef Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Hill. And uh, with me around for this Halloween show, and happy Halloween, folks, i got to say that uh, my most favorite time of the year. And uh, with me this time around to do this little show about uh, possibly bad movies, or yeah, it depends on your perspective, really. One <laughs> one of which is uh, he writes for the DailyGrindHouse.com website. Uh, he is one half of the uh, No Budget Nightmares podcast. Is a constant contributor to the Not So Evil episodes uh, sidecast, uh, Mr. Doug Tilly. How you doing, sir? Doing very well, and you know I'm glad to be on a podcast where we can talk about some, you know, Halloween themed movies. Uh, I haven't been so lucky lately in some of my some of my other appearances. Fair enough. How are you, sir? Are you still talking are- to me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm really doing well. And, uh, I mean, it's a little late here in Canada, in the part of Canada I live in in particular. But, uh, you know, I'm ready to, to bring a little energy to the proceedings. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and the man uh, behind the Legion podcast network is with me as well. He's also part of uh, one half of Duncan and Bo Comes Correct, the non-Scottish part. Uh, one... <laughs> the, the red part, I, I like to think. <laughs> the red part, yes, indeed. The, the chewy center, if you will, <laughs> Uh, one third of Devour the Podcast and one third of Grave Shift Radio. Mr. Bo Reinsdell, how you doing, sir? Hey, I'm great. Thanks, man. I'm also tr- – yeah, no, I'm, I'm being upbeat as well, but I've also been doing an enormous amount of cocaine. <laughs> nice. That should keep more awake than see. Mm. I ain't got none of that right now, but uh, I got good company, so I'm happy about that, see. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a drug in and of itself. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. But uh, the idea for this show came across and I was watching random things that I remember seeing on the VHS shelf and never picked up. And a lot of stuff is on YouTube now, which makes me happy. Uh, films that are so bad, they're good. And I took polls on this and everything else. And, you know, so we picked a, a film each tonight to, to cover for that. And uh, we'll basically shoot right into them because I'm not going to do a whole, you know, have hey, you watched anything bad lately kind of deal because there's really no point in doing that because we have watched some <laughs> shellacky stuff for this evening, really, if you think about it, really. Yeah, yeah. Although there is one movie in the mix that I would probably argue is legitimately a pretty good movie. Yep, I, I would say so as well. And it is clearly not mine. 
<laughs> <laughs> uh, I think actually I'm going to make a case. I'm going to try that all three movies tonight are legitimately good in terms of being successful at what they tried to do. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that's fair. But yeah, we'll right into this with um Doug's choice for, for this mm-hmm. uh, show. Uh, tell the folks what you chose for this show, Doug. So shocking, so terrifying, so powerful. Night Warning has been named Best Horror Film of the Year by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror. Billy and Julie, young, innocent, in love. It was all a mistake. They didn't go looking for trouble. They were just too curious. Without knowing, they've uncovered a deadly secret. By accident, they've stumbled onto a grisly murder. Now, they know too much to live. A chilling tale of a young boy and girl, innocent victims, now targets of a frenzied obsession with murder. See the award-winning Night warning. Yeah, by the way, almost certainly that's what he's re- – my pick is the one he's referring to, I would think. Uh, but the film uh, that I chose for uh, this episode is 1982's Night Warning, directed by William Asher and starring Jimmy McNichol and the amazing Susan Tyrell. Yeah. And, Do you want me and- to – to talk about the plot? <laughs> yeah, go talk about the plot, sir. Yes, well, right, before, if, if I could, though, I think it's more notable for the fact that Bill Paxton is in it. Yes, a and very that, young Bill Paxton. And that Julia Duffy of New Heart fame gets naked in it, which she I does. was totally un, uh, like I never would have expected that. <laughs> they, sh- they should have put that right on the cover. Uh, and also, Bo Svensson plays a uh, plays a, uh, a, a homophobic asshole cop in it it's a really strange movie in a lot of ways because it's all about susan tyrell being as crazy as possible uh basically she has killed off the parents of jimmy mcnichols character uh she's the aunt of him uh at the very beginning of the movie and they get killed off in a ludicrously awesome way and then uh, she has to not has to she does that specifically so she can raise him because she is well she's nuts but also she has romantic aspirations towards young billy that's jimmy's character in this case uh and he uh as we pick up the plot as we flash forward uh when he's 17 then he is about to you know he has a girlfriend he's looking to go away to college and she starts getting threatened by it and then the movie takes a really weird turn because she murders a guy (laughs) And there becomes this big police investigation, but the police investigation itself almost seems like it comes from an entirely different movie. It's really, really strange because you have you have Bo doing the, the that that really I mean, he's such a prick in this movie. So prickish, in fact, that his his inevitable comeuppance at the very end, that's a really strange note to end this movie on. But uh but yeah, no, that's it. So Susan Tyrell acting like a complete nut, trying to 
fuck her own son. Uh, and uh, well, uh, as we find out, it's her own son. And uh, and that's that's pretty much the entire movie. And I was lucky enough to see this movie on 35 millimeter a couple of years ago. And I was really glad to because it's a hard movie to track down. It's it's not one that that has a uh, it had a reputation, I think, in the early 80s when it came out. Uh, it was fear well known but since then it just really hasn't gotten the profile of a lot of movies of that time period but you think that that Susan Tyrell performance alone would be enough to get people to kind of getting behind it oh she was she was insane in every wonderful way yeah the, the movie itself kind of reminded me a little of the baby oddly yeah I mean not it's not quite as seedy as the baby <laughs> maybe but <laughs> By the way, Baby may be a great Buddy Holly song, um, but but it it does have that kind of vibe of this weird look at. I mean, there's kind of strange sexual politics going on in the movie, and there is a hint of the seediness, but not not nearly as much as an adult baby. But <laughs> it, it if is. If anything, the strange thing about the it, it kind of. It kind of balances that exploitation with a really kind of weirdly progressive message. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, one thing, completely. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And it's I mean, like a, strangely so, especially for the time period. Well, yeah, I mean, this was you know in the era of like Harvey Milk, and hmm. there, I mean, there was certainly a growing awareness of the gay populace. And 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 sort of you know homophobia and things like that in popular culture, but it was certainly not something you saw addressed on film unless it was a very specific kind of like Dog Day Afternoon or something like that. Well, I, I guess even Cruising was only a couple of years before this, but I mean that that shows how how that can go a little wrong when you, when you don't really give it its due. Um, now I like I like Cruising more than most people, but it's certainly a film that was very controversial at the time. Yeah, and and it's also a little, maybe not wrongheaded, but but certainly a little exploitative of yeah. the subject matter. And this, I mean, like, you know, I'm 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 a big fan of the notion of like if you're gonna say something that is either controversial or like racist or bigoted or whatever, if you put that in the mouth of the villain, it's sort of okay because right. because you're pointing out. Like, oh, well, this is just an asshole. And this movie does that, you know, not to spoil the ending or anything, but, <laughs> you know, he like uh, that character uh, of this detective is just awful all through the movie. And, and the gay character of the coach, or at least, you know, he's he, he is described as being gay, but is certainly never it you know you never see him making out with a dude or anything but he never denies it and right. and he is a completely sympathetic and decent human being which is weird for the time that it was made mhm mm absolutely it's a, yeah it's it's a weird the thing about that kind of plot area of this movie is that it just seems a little disconnected from sort of some of the more exploitative elements of the kind of main plot of Susan, Susan Tyrell's character, but it actually is what makes this movie, I think, a little bit more interesting. I mean, it, this is a, a very competently made movie. Uh, the William Asher was a, an actor, but also, I mean, he directed tons and tons of television work. Didn't do a lot of feature, but, but I mean, he obviously knew the elements that went into a, a horror movie or a slasher movie. And though this isn't a particularly scary one, it's 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 certainly well made and well acted for the most part. And the violence 
balance and it is pretty great. Like I said, that opening sequence where uh, Billy's parents are killed and that uh, his father is killed. <laughs> uh, this is a, a, I don't know if anyone had used this before where uh, the, the big, um, what was it? Was it a log or a, like a logger truck? Yeah. A logger truck where the log actually comes through the window of the windshield of the car and basically almost decapitates him. Uh, <laughs> oh, it should have. It should have decapitated him. But the way that they have a dummy with its head snapped back, I mean, it's a pretty terrific moment if you're into that sort of thing. And it kind of gets the movie off to a bang, both literally and figuratively. You get that one, and then later on you get uh, – I forget the actor's name, but I see him in tons of stuff. The guy that wears the, the, the Colonel Sanders tie in this movie, that that cop. <laughs> Yes. He gets his hand hilariously lobbed off. It's just like, okay, there's your hand. You know, and it... Yeah, and you gotta kinda think that either Tarantino saw this movie at some point because like the the way that the head kicks back reminded me a lot of Death Proof. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and also a little bit of uh Final Destination Two. Mm-hmm. Uh because <laughs> because that movie is fucking great and let's not deny that. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like the opening was like, holy shit, this movie is kind of legit. And my favorite thing about it is there is no red herring whatsoever. She just gives that glare like, yeah, I cut your break, motherfucker. You know, (laughs) no question. (laughs) She gives them a night warning. (laughs) Maybe that's where the the title comes from. But, you know, it's kind of crazy because like you this whole sequence of the log going through the window and, and, and killing the the father is really extended because not only do you have that, but you have his wife dealing <laughs> with this situation horribly, which yeah, is she totally but, yeah, right. Completely understandable. And, and like trying to steer the car, but that's yeah. just bullshit. And then <laughs> you have, you have a great car wreck. And I was like, man, this movie kind of has me from jump. I really appreciate the fact that it is it 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 is well made more more so than again any other movie we're going to talk about tonight. <laughs> and it 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 feels like you're watching a real movie but then it goes into these like bizarre places mm. that you just never see coming until they happen, you know, until you get into like all the weird gender politics and stuff like that. And you're just like, I, everybody, what movie every, am I watching? Everybody's a homosexual in this movie, guys. Just leaning right now. Well, according to our detective. Yeah. <laughs> according to our and, detective, right? And and you got to wonder if he's closeted. Like, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm, I'm just like, you know, in a modern movie, it would turn out that he was gay. Be, or And Republican. So, <laughs> like, those are the two things I can say about that character. Knowing nothing else about him is that he's he's probably homosexual and definitely votes for Romney. And they don't really they, – they're not usually – they're not just using it as a criticism of the police force because it seems like the – well, we see that other officer who's a completely stand-up guy who's doing the actual police work is bringing actual evidence to uh, to the detective's uh, notice and he just dismisses him. <laughs> Doesn't just dismiss him. Basically tells him that if he keeps doing it, he's going to get him kicked off the force or send him home. I mean it really is uh, something else. It's just that this character is entirely despicable. And I think maybe we should talk about the ending because it is so bizarre. Are we okay with talking about the ending? I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. If you don't want to hear about the ending, just skip ahead a few minutes. The ending happens. 
there's a bloodbath after uh, Susan Tyrell's character kills everybody. So uh, the detective shows up at the house and the aftermath and tries to uh, pin it all on uh, Billy because Billy has called his coach, his homosexual coach, to come over and help him. So he's trying to, to basically pin it on them as a way to, to confirm his theory from earlier. Uh, he also is going to, it looks like he's going to shoot either one or both of them for no reason at all, even though you think cops would be littering the place with that many bodies around. Uh, and uh, he, um, Billy's girlfriend knocks the gun away. He picks up the gun and shoots him to death. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> And then he gets it, out well, for reasons of insanity. Yeah, except for yeah. the tag where it's like, the tag you know, at the end all like worked out. out. <laughs> it's like, they didn't even have to think about it. Reasons of insanity, absolutely. It's like, they go to college and they lived happily ever after, you know. <laughs> it all no, worked out for everybody. No, my favorite thing is what happened before all that happened. Because for some reason, Susan, Ty- Susan Tyrell's character pickles everything in this movie. <laughs> so, of course, there's going to be a pickled decapitated head in the basement. <laughs> you know, you, you got to see that in this movie. It's amazing looking, just floating around in that jar. It's like, who who makes jars this big? I don't know. Somebody does, obviously. Those future <laughs> I want, I want head size. Those Futurama esque jars, you know, just <laughs> just start talking to you or something, you know. And but that that didn't happen in this movie. But I, I wish it, I was wish it would have. But um, yeah, the the chase scene outside where she kills Margie and bust somebody else in the head with a big ass rock and she's just feral at this point just killing everybody and it's wonderful you know, it's, it's... there's a point at just about the hour mark where she goes from being uh insane but passing for not being insane to you know she, she when she cuts off her hair yes. then that's it she is fucking gone she's gone so far at that point that even when the neighbor comes over this neighbor who's this you know, she's this woman who was supposed to be completely clueless up to this point. She recognizes immediately, you know what? I think something's wrong. Maybe we should stick around. And that's that's another thing about this movie. You know, people – like that character, which so easily could have been a really simple cliche, just some more uh, body count fodder. She is makes an effort to find out what's going on. She hides in the closet. She listens in on conversations. She She is actually trying to help in some way, just like a person in real life would. Of course, it means that she gets fucked up and killed. But, in, but at least in a there's a great gut shot. Yeah, in a great murder. gut shot. It's really nice. But it, it actually makes her more sympathetic to have that happen immediately before that. So there's actual, you know, there's there's attempts to add some shading to these characters, which you know you gotta appreciate. I've been watching a lot of terrible slasher movies lately. One of my favorite scenes is the scene you guys mentioned earlier about about um Julia getting naked on screen and. The, the part where Billy decides he wants to have sex to prove he's not gay, I guess. <laughs> and, you know, he does it at his mother's house. You know he's going to get busted, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it, I don't know that that's the reason. I, I think it's more it's, like it seems he's like dating the, the a scene, 19-year-old Julia Duffy. That just, seems like all the, the inspiration. Just, it seems like the scene you had before that is the scene you got after that, just to prove that just in the, the if you're thinking in the thinking in the bottom of your mind that you thought Billy was gay, guess what? He's not gay at all. Cause he's, you know, Julia Julia Duffy would have been uh, in her thirties when this movie was made in eighty one. So she would have been thirty in eighty one, meaning that that she's playing a seventeen year old at thirty. No shit. I mean, she she could pass for late teens, early twenties. Absolutely, she could. Yeah, I mean, even when she did Newhart, not to not to keep banging that drum, but let's talk about Newhart instead of this. Yeah, movie. <laughs> let's talk, let's talk about the last episode of Newhart. Um, 
no, but uh, you know, even then she looked young. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's just one of those uh, those women. I think that looks kind of eternally youthful in a weird way. No, it sorry, definitely worked. Sorry to turn this into the Julia Duffy show. No, it's okay. but no, let's talk about how great Julia Duffy is. And she actually, is about, a delight. <laughs> let's talk about uh, how how great uh, Bill Paxton is in his small scenes here because he they learned very early on that when he is an asshole. By the way, there's no real payoff for that that except for another person to to uh, call Billy gay. But but yeah, so Bill Paxton's in this movie has like three scenes and he's just an asshole in every single one of them. Yeah, yeah, he is. That, that's really little Bill Paxton for you, though, you know. And, that's, yeah, that's and his, I, yeah, and he, I don't think he's any better or worse an actor in this than he is in anything. Right. No, no, no. He's just playing that role. You know, it's just that goofy, misogynistic role. <laughs> he plays him in almost everything, you know. Right. If he had shouted game over, I you know, like <laughs> I would have been like, oh, of course, it's Bill Paxton. Although I like when he goes across the picnic table at the dude. Um <laughs> Because, you know, it's like late 70s, early 80s shorts, and those are just the most awful garments ever made. <laughs> the sleepaway camp shorts. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it, that, that, that scene is great because I think they're trying to keep – like, the, that's the thing about Billy as a character in this movie is that he's not a nerd and he's not put upon. He is popular and athletic and has a girlfriend. And when Bill Paxton's character tries to jump him after, after Billy dumps like a milkshake on his head, he gets uh, – Bill Paxton's character gets one shot in, and then Billy just kicks the shit out of him afterwards, basically. He punches him, like, five times in the head. And uh, so, you know, th- it doesn't feel like uh, Billy's in any real danger in from that perspective. But I think that's kind of important to kind of reinforce that this is a person who, you know, potentially could get, like, a scholarship and, and move on to better things in his life. How did he not turn out fucked up with Susan Tyrell raising him for 14 years? Although, all right, here's my one big this is bullshit moment of the movie. It's when uh, Billy is playing uh, the game for the recruiter mm-hmm. and, and, and passes out and then kind of wakes up and it's like, Oh, well that scholarship is all gone now. And if you're, <laughs> if you're a recruiter and have know, made right? this trip <laughs> and, and the guy you're there to recruit literally passes out on the floor then at some point you're like, you know what? This is probably not indicative of his normal play. And I am not <laughs> convinced that he is not worth recruiting. Oh, I was expecting so many more kills in this movie. I expected her to kill the recruiter. I expected her to kill a couple more people. Like the lunch lady that scorned him, didn't give him a piece or something like that. You know, just, I think that at a certain point in the film, especially when he started to talk about yeah. Some of my college and stuff like that, you know, that's when she started to slip. But then, you like, like you said, Doug, when she cut her hair off, fell Billy Jean style, she uh, completely lost it. Then, see, holy shit! If she had believe- said "fair is fair," that would have been the best movie ever. <laughs> that scene where she's where uh, Julia is sort of uh, she's trying to distract her while Billy goes up and looks through her jewelry box, and she's like pounding on a piece of meat with a meat tenderizer. Yep. <laughs> And then she suddenly turns on a dime and asks uh, Julia to grab something out of the fridge so she can whack her on the head. I'm surprised Julia made it to the end of this movie alive, to be totally honest with you. Well, she just yeah. Man. But I, I do appreciate the fact that it was like, okay, we're I mean, we're really kind of ultimately landing in a place where mm-hmm. the couple that has been, you know, certainly Billy is is not necessarily the main character because I feel like his aunt is really the main character, but 
I, I feel like he's our protagonist. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you want to see him, you know, end up in a decent place because none of this was his fault. Right. And, yeah, he deserves some sort of peace at the end, which, again, a lot of movies these days probably would not give to him or at least give it to him and then take it away right away. That said, the the text at the end feels like a sort of a real shortcut to making that happen. Oh, it is a real cop out. He, he, he literally he, he killed a cop literally in, in cold blood. You know, it's like, call, call me a homo, will you? And then, you know. <laughs> Oh, the other police officer who who uh, the the Julia comes into the room and she, he just lets her run over to a guy who just murdered a police officer. And yeah, he and he kind of gives like, yeah, <laughs> right. He give, he gives the nod like you know what that guy was that guy a was dick. an asshole. <laughs> it it yeah. totally was the suggestion. All right, I guess no one's gonna miss that guy. Right, right. No, we all knew it. Like <laughs> this was bound to happen. You were just the guy who pulled the trigger. This guy, so, che- this guy uh, <laughs> cheats on his taxes, cheats on his wife, uh, doesn't doesn't go to church on Sundays. You know, this guy's a real asshole. Uh, so at this point, I should say that I have actually failed this show because, yeah, I chose a movie that's actually pretty good. I I, I, don't, I wouldn't say that it's it's fair at all to say that this movie is so bad it's good. It's very it's very high pitched. The performances are very, uh, especially Susan Tyrell's performance are the, the, she is totally going over the top intentionally and that's what makes her part work so well and it certainly is a very strange movie in a lot of ways but the entertainment the entertainment comes very legitimately it's not something that you're necessarily laughing at even if there are some outrageous scenes that are funny in it that said this is a movie that i feel like does not get nearly enough attention and and respect and it's a it's a shame uh that it's been a little bit forgotten i know that code red put it out on dvd in 2008 but man i'll tell you the versions that are out there right now are ugly as shit and it'd be nice to see this one uh get a nicer presentation out there yeah yeah no this is actually a a pretty smart and and surprisingly progressive film for the time and yeah no i legitimately i i was surprised at how much i enjoyed watching it yeah, I, I totally agree. It, it was good, you know. But I think I think it, you're wrong about it. Doesn't fit the category because somebody else who watches this movie may think that because it plays kind of like like a TV movie in a lot of ways. That that is true, Ex- and even except, looks like a TV movie sometimes. Except it has breasts in it, and you know, almost full frontal, you know, and, and gore and all the, all the stuff you love. But um, I guess that would, that would fit the category of so bad it's good because. You can tell from the opening scene, this is the kind of movie you're going to get. You just just from the glare of, yeah, you're, you're done for. Even the, certainly the original title was so bad, it's good. Butcher, Baker, Nightmare Maker, with the tagline, A Haunting Rhyme for Bedtime. They obviously had some difficulty marketing this one. Yeah, I still think that's better than Night, night Shapes, warning. whatever. I don't know what it's called. Like, It, it might as well be called like Night Something? Question mark. Uh, yeah, it... That it's it's a shitty title for a movie that does deserve better. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that one of my favorite scenes of the whole film, which is which makes it extra extra creepy. Where she she of course claims that he did it in the girlfriend, and she's got him on the ground and she's licking his neck, saying "I'm your girlfriend now" and stuff like that. Like, yeah, that's that's extra creepy, you know. Yeah, yeah, I had a very <laughs> Elm Street flashback at that point. Where if 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 she had called Billy Nancy. It also would have made it the best movie ever. There, there were a couple of the ways that this movie could have been the greatest film ever made. And if if Bo Svensson, for example, had fucked one of his deputies, that would have been fantastic. 
yeah, there, yeah, there, a lot of opportunities, but but still totally worth watching, regardless of missteps along the way to be the most outrageous thing that had ever been put to film. Yeah, it's, it was a, it's, it's a good pick, though, Doug, and uh, I guess we'll uh, rate it now, 1 through 10. Since uh, it's your pick, Doug, what do you rate it 1 through 10? Oh, gosh, that's difficult, you know? I, you know what? I'm going to give it a 7.5. I think this is a quality movie. I think it has its problems. I think it's a little flat-looking at times, and it certainly uh, is ridiculous, but... Uh, it's entertaining from the beginning to the end, and that Susan Tyrell performance is something that people should see. Great, uh, Bo. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a, a solid seven. Um, I yeah, I mean it, yeah, there there are some very TV mo- uh, TV movie kind of moves in it. It it almost looks like a Chips episode at times. <laughs> but all that being said, it is incredibly interesting for the particularly for the time in which it was made Mm -hmm. it it is it is a noteworthy film and i can't believe i had never seen it before so i was really genuinely kind of appreciative like oh i i can't believe this got past me this is a movie that everyone who's not necessarily a horror fan but just if you like kind of weird cinema you should totally watch this movie uh, yeah, I'm right with you guys with giving it right around a seven. Uh, yeah, compared to the, the TV movie look, you know, you, you'd think it was almost going to be a TV movie when you first started watching it. And then he's like, they let that happen. Seriously, they, they let that happen, you know, because <laughs> this film is filled with they let that happen in a movie, you know, kind of deals. Because, you know, just that's what made it so wonderful to me. Like, I just kept my jaw, like my jaw was like on the ground like the whole time. I was like, huh, really? Huh? You know, and. <laughs> But not in a bad way, in a very good way, you know. <laughs> but in a very sick way too. Like I find this very entertaining. Maybe there's something very, very wrong with me. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. I think, I think most people who enjoy movies on a more than superficial level could genuinely enjoy watching this movie. Yeah, I agree. It's about a. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, we're gonna take a break here to play a. Uh, couple messages uh, a couple of our fellow podcasters left for us and uh we'll be right back after that with a uh, bonus pick which he'll have to tell you all about when we get back well hello there scary gary happy halloween We've got the killbot here co-host of the found footage files and contributor at the terror troop so a movie that's so bad it's good i'm gonna go with the 1981 classic burial ground the knights of terror I love this movie. First off, kind of badly dubbed. Uh, we have a woman every time she's attacked and chewed on by a zombie. She sounds like she is having an orgasm. And we have a creepy man-child, gelfling-looking guy who has relations with his mother. And the zombies in this just look awesome. Of course, it's all practical effects. This is 1981. But uh, I love this movie. I watch it twice a year. And I'm sure most of your listeners, Gary, know about it. But I'm just throwing it out there. So, Burial Ground, Knights of Terror, 1981. You can find it on YouTube. And it's, it's a purchase, in my opinion, honestly. But happy Halloween, Gary. And good job on all you're doing. Killbot out. Hello, Gary. This is Hugh from the Christy Hayes Horror and the Fire Pit Podcast. Mmm, 
movies that are so bad that they are good. Uh, and there's so many. That's kind of my uh, my wheelhouse, you know, of, of favorite movies. Uh, but I think I'm going to go with one that I probably shouldn't like. Uh, I guess it's a guilty pleasure. I think maybe we'll go that way. And that would be I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. I don't know. I, I don't know why. I think it's because of the setting. The whole island with the storm coming and just, uh, I don't know, something about it just, just entertains me. I enjoy it. I think it's more of a setting thing and the way it plays out. Uh, just, I don't know. I can put it on and watch it in the background. Soundtrack, great. Beautiful soundtrack, lovely. Uh, Jennifer loves Hewitt singing her own song at the end. I mean, how bad is that? But how good is it? I don't know. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be my, my pick. If I still know what you did last summer, which is technically the summer before last summer, because last summer was the first movie. I don't know. That's how bad it is. But I love it, and I watch it every time it comes on. Thanks, Gary. Have a good one. Hey Gary, this is Duncan from the podcast Under the Stairs. Um, just dropping a line to take part in this um, so good it's bad, terrible movie, but you love sort of thing conversation that you're doing. Um, I don't really adhere to the the kind of statement a movie's so bad it's good. Um, it's never something that I really thought is something that accurately describes how I look at films. Um, however. There are movies which I know people look at with critical eyes and see gaping holes or problems which I will overlook because I enjoy a movie and I'm going to tell you about one such movie. Um, And some people might, the the horror fans that listen to this might be like, "Uh, who couldn't love this movie? Um, But trust me, there's a lot of people out there. It's 1982's Pieces. Um, which is a Spanish giallo slasher movie, um, which was directed by filmmaker Juan Simón. It's, a, I think it's like one of the best slasher movies ever made, in my opinion. I think it is one of the most bloody um, horror movies from from the eighties. I think they just go all out. It's, but it's got a a certain poor level in the, the dubbing um, in the acting department a certain over dramatic pose put forward by pretty much every character in here are all really quirky and not quite realistic um, and the, the dubbing's of almost kind of like that um, spaghetti western style so you've got American actors and actresses speaking um, and then they've obviously been translated into Spanish for the, the Spanish audience and then someone's overdubbed a new English um, over the top of that so it, it's quite off-putting in places but it's something I totally look past um, because I love the movie um, there is a bizarre very very strange out of place martial arts sequence in the middle of this that lasts all of 30 seconds and it never pops back up again you have um, the kind of misdirection towards the janitor 
who is basically on screen playing. I mean, the guy needs a, a moustache so he can start twirling it. He's that sort of villain-looking guy, but that's a red herring in the movie. Um, you have Linda D. George. Oh my God, um, doing the classic bastard scene. Um, if you've not seen that, YouTube, Linda D. George Bastard Pieces. Um, don't do it at your work, though, just in case. And um, you will see what is one of the greatest fucking sequences ever shot in horror cinema. Um, when you take those aspects out, though, it's a really fucking good Jalo movie. Um, it doesn't really give that much away. There's, there's pieces of, excuse the pun, um, of Argento in there. There's um, there's plenty of nods towards Italian cinema. Um, also, it contains quite a lot of slasher elements as well, so it's not quite a proto-slasher. Um, if you get past the goofy acting, if you get past the weird, overdubbed English vocals, um, what you're left with is an absolute fucking classic, classic horror movie from 1982. So if you have not seen it, Go and check out PCs. Um, and Gary, good luck to your show, and uh, I hope to be a guest sometime soon. Take care of yourself. Bye. Sure is a lot of meat. Some of beef. Uh, I'm here with Bo and Doug again. Uh, Bo is going to tell you guys what his choice war was for this episode, man. Go for it. Okay, my choice was a movie I had not seen since I was a kid uh, called Cannibal Campout. Uh, it was a movie that stuck with me because of its awfulness. <laughs> and I, and, but the weird thing was I had misremembered a fundamental thing. That I I loved about the movie, and I almost wish I hadn't recommended it because then I would still have th- this memory of the movie. <laughs> but uh, so I remembered that the character of uh, da, 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 hold on, let me let me find the dude's name. Uh, uh, is it yeah? Is it Richard Marcus who plays Rich? Yeah. So. I had, for some reason, misremembered that he had a really gimpy arm. And, and <laughs> the reality of the situation is that he just has really scrawny arms, which on, on first glance look kind of gimpy. And there there was honestly like the first half hour of the movie, I was still thinking, OK, is that gimpy or does he just have like tiny lady arms? 
And it turns out he just has tiny lady arms. So I was really disappointed because I remember thinking at the time, like, no one in this movie ever mentions the fact that he's got a gimpy arm. And that was kind of beautiful to me that this is obviously a movie made by a bunch of dudes one weekend. And, yeah, so I I almost apologize. And I certainly apologize in light of Night Something, question mark, uh, because that is a way better movie than this. But here's what I love about Cannibal Campout, really, um, is that this is a movie that could literally not be made today. It is a film that is clearly shot on VHS cameras yes, that indeed. somebody borrowed from the AV department and or grandparents. And, and they they made a movie. And God bless them. They were they were fucking trying. And I, you know, they weren't successful. It's a terrible movie. I don't think there's, I mean, so the plot is essentially, hey, a bunch of people go out to the woods and there are some cannibals there and and a lot of them get eaten and whatnot. And that being said, there are also highlights in the movie, like a fetus gets eaten. Yes. <laughs> Which and, is the, the first time I thought I thought there ever was one of these. Was it the, the opening five minutes of Terra Firmer? Where there's a defeatusing in there, but uh, I was wrong because this defeatusing came first, and I'm not condoning defeatusing, but you know, this this came first, guys. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> yes, and and it's it's made with a weird sort of earnestness that I really appreciate. Um, you know, like a movie like this would be way better. It, it would be so much better now, just because of technology and the internet and you could get better music and better actors and all that stuff just by throwing shit up on craigslist and you would never be able to make a movie this shitty today i think and that's kind of weirdly charming to me mm, yeah I, I, there was a certain charm to this film like um i don't know the, the killer's name so i'm not even gonna even try I'm, I'm gonna call him would you call him gimpy arm the one guy <laughs> Gimpy it's arm, Rich, Gene, and Joe. Gimpy yeah. arm, overalls, and Maverick. That's, that's what I'm gonna call him, okay? Because the one guy that's like two times. Which is, which is the dumbest thing. <laughs> like, like when he gets the hose ripped off, like it's fucking Bane from Toxic. Dark Knight Rises, and he this, freaks it, out. It's like the Toxic Avenger beats Cropsy. That's what it looked like to me, you yeah. know? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and. Yeah, it is just like the the special effects are special in the way that like if special effects could wear a helmet, <laughs> that would be these special effects. They, they look good a lot on the like especially the part where you get like great gut shots with the machete and you know you can see you go into the meat. You know, it's, it's it worked for me for as cheap as it was made. I don't know. You know what? I'm gonna I'm just gonna step in, Gary, for a little bit because I mean this is Cannibal Campout is my bread and butter it's it's a no budget nightmare not only is it a no budget nightmare it was actually covered on no budget nightmares we talked about this movie for 90 minutes we then uh tracked down the director then we got our good friend to record a song about it uh cannibal Campout is a movie that i have a lot of really strong positive feelings towards and uh i also think that it's uh, the, your criticisms about it bo are absolutely correct but it's also a massive success because not only was were, – because of what you said, because of the fact that it is just a group of friends. Some of them have obviously not acted before. It's all amateur uh, work, and it, even the special effects are obviously very amateurish, shot on video. But 
it not only ended up in video stores all across the United States, it even got a special edition DVD release in a and and launched the career of a number of people involved with it, including John McBride, the co-director, writer, and star of it. And he's went on to make uh, a number of different movies, and probably the most well-known aside from this is actually Wood Chipper Massacre, which came out I think the same year. But these are movies that that. Um, if you were a horror fan in, in the 80s and 90s, you very well could have seen on your video store shelves. And Cannibal Campout, it, again, we're talking about a movie that still, it manages to be really entertaining. It's not a slow movie. And the other thing that I had a little bit of disagreement about was the idea about whether they could make a movie like this today. You're right, absolutely right. The the production values would be higher. The special effects would probably be better. Uh, the maybe music would be better. The editing might be better. But this movie probably in top ten percent of all micro budget movies that I've ever seen. And that is not actually saying a lot because of the average quality of those movies is not very high. But having seen hundreds and hundreds of them and even dozens and dozens of them made in the 80s right around this time period, I mean, this is far and above what most of the people were putting out at that time period. With that caveat that it's still, I mean, for your average audience, it's going to be hard to get past the fact that A, it is shot on video, and B, that the acting is so bad, and C, that the special effects are so bad. But it still, I think, is a really entertaining movie, and it does some interesting things, but man, the acting is fucking terrible. <laughs> with, with the exception of uh, Rich. With, yeah, with, with the exception of Rich. Who, 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 when he gives his It's a Small World moment. Yes. <laughs> It is like, again, that's one of those things that over the course of, I mean, let's be honest, like a quarter century at this point, since I originally saw the movie, I, I still remember that. Like, I remember that clearly when it happened, <laughs> I was like, of course, of course this happens in this movie because that's why I remember it. And, and like all his performance throughout the whole thing, I wouldn't say it's a great performance, but it's a weirdly memorable performance. Yeah. Because he is, he's given it his fucking all, man. We should probably explain that. Like he, he has his accent, like, like a Brooklyn style accent to his character. And he's got kind of like a weaselly way of speaking and acting. And it's not just like, it's not just his delivery that works. It's kind of the confidence that he has behind it. And I mean, you can tell that at some point they realized that they had an actor who could do something that no one else could do because it seems like they just gave him more and more dialogue, including some scenes. There's that one where he's talking to a head and it just seems like he's probably just improving all of that material. There, There is a fair amount of improv in this movie that is ill-advised. Uh, <laughs> like the whole scene when they're first like cooking up people and it's clear that it, the director, you know, in quotes, was like, just just talk about eating people or something and that's what they do but but you're right like this works as a movie it has a definite beginning middle and end it it ends on a real dumb joke but i kind of like oh it oh my gosh yes <laughs> and yeah i mean it is like i i admire the movie so much because it is so you know, improvise, not just in, in terms of the acting, but the whole thing just feels like, what do we have that we can make a movie with? And it turned out kind of okay, which is you know what I always, sort of mind blowing. I always call it that. Let's put on a show 
style movie where you can tell that the resources are very limited, but it's a total commitment to trying to do the best you can just with what you have. And you can tell that that's what they're doing here. They're using the framework that we all recognize. Bunch of teens go out into the woods and they get, you know, slashed and stalked. And they, I mean, it's everything we've seen a million times before, but they're trying to do it with well, not even a quarter, what like a like a two percent of the resources a lot of those films have. Uh, I that said, the the character of Chris, he's the guy with the glasses in the movie. I think he's one of the worst actors yes. I've ever seen. His delivery is so bad, and I mean the lead cannibal guy is really bad too. But that guy Chris is just awful. But he's awful in a way that I look forward to seeing him in the movie. Like he has to have some of these touching moments with his girlfriend when he finds out that she's pregnant and it's like you know why didn't you tell me and they have this dialogue back and forth and it's like you know that it's it's sweet kind of because of how how bad the delivery is but it's also you know it it it, they're trying to add something to these characters even if it doesn't totally work so it's one of those things where i mean this is why this really does fit into the category those elements are really so bad that they become entertaining to me yeah, yeah. This film, yeah, I, 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 it's not just your average hack and slash for me because I know it's cheaply made and it, the the dialogue's bad, and the composer needs to be shot because it sounds like he <laughs> went to Sears. I, and and I one think, of those. again, <laughs> composer seems like you're overstating. Well, I'm just what saying the, the guy working the 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 Sears catalog keyboard needs to be shot. Okay. <laughs> The closing credits song is pretty good. Yes. The one that sings at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want yeah. that MP3. I just want that. You know, just... <laughs> you know and the, the other thing I kind of dig about this movie, though, is in addition to the fact that it feels like it's a, a, like an actual movie, even though it's not a great one, uh, comparatively, like this, technically, this is a movie in the same way that A Clockwork Orange is a movie, in that they are both filmed entertainment. But what I really admire about this is that it does feel so do-it-yourself, but there is there is some talent at work here. And oh, absolutely. Because, because I've seen any number of just god-awful shitty direct-to-video, even in the 80s. Like, you know, me and friends of mine would go to a video store called Xanadu Video. Nice. <laughs> And it was it was one of the first, uh, you know, like VHS rental places that we had in my hometown. And we would seek out like the shittiest movies we could find. And Cannibal Camp Out was one of those movies. And it 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 is still a thing that we all reference because it was memorable enough that, you know, like there, there were totally disposable movies that I can't think of the names of. Because they were totally disposable. There was nothing. It was just a bunch of boring shit that happened for, you know, 70 to 90 minutes. And then it was done. And then we'd laugh and, you know, whatnot. But Cannibal Campout is a movie that we still talk about because of things like it's the it's a small world bit you know <laughs> hearing that dude you know it's a small small world it's just it's hysterical <laughs> but like i said the dude is is absolutely giving it his all the you know and also it has a really bleak ending not just the very end of the movie but <laughs> spoilers again if you <laughs> if you don't want to be spoiled on cannibal camp out um but you know, it it ends with all your supposed protagonists in the film dying, mm-hmm. 
And it ends with your cannibals as kind of the the heroes of the movie in a weird way. And the <laughs> most likable and 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 certainly vocal cannibal at the end of the film mm, is probably going to get eaten himself. Yes. And yep. it's just it's so fucking weird. Yeah, that is so strange to to end it almost on like one of those sitcom freeze frames where where they decided, guess we're going to eat you. Wah, wah, and that's the end of the movie. Oh, one of my favorite gags of the whole film is overalls. Again, I don't know his name, but uh, how he manages every he's the big hack and slash guy. He's literally hacking people up till they start bleeding all over the walls and all over him and all over everything. But he keeps those white overalls so nice and white and clean, you know, throughout the whole film. And I don't know if it's poor editing or if it's written in the script to be a funny gag that way. I don't really don't care. It just makes me laugh every time I see, like, he just slices this person up to bits, you know, probably making the meat, like, gamey and worthless, you know. But he's all covered in blood. But in the next scene, his, his overalls are nice, clean, and white. And, like, he just came out of the dry cleaner or something. And, you know, he's he's, uh, he's, he's good to go. Well, and, and speaking of Gene, our, our main cannibal <laughs> in the, the film... <laughs> Like, I appreciate the fact that the movie tries to deliver one liners, <laughs> but they're fucking terrible, you know. Yeah, but it, really again, it, in, in, in a weirdly charming way, like when he uh, licks the machete, <laughs> the, the bloody machete, and then says, just like mama used to make. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, you mean blood? I mean, what? What? Yes, your mother did produce blood just like – did you eat your mother? Is that yeah, what's that going on it. here? Like I, I just don't understand what the the impetus of the line was. And and But again, that makes it kind of like intriguing and interesting. Well, they reference – they reference – oh, I'm sorry. You got to say something cool in this scene and go. <laughs> There's just no like mama thing. used to make and and like the people on on the again in air quotes crew uh are just like i do you want to shoot that again no 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 it's good we got it are <laughs> from you working sure? on those sets i'll tell you that that what it would almost be be followed up with was oh my god that's awesome <laughs> everyone will think that that's the greatest thing in the world and then maybe 10 years later they'll be sitting down it's like oh shit i can't believe we put that in there I, I love the idea that like after the yell cut, everyone just applauds. Yeah, like, absolutely. that was it. We got it. We got it. Too many times. I mean, I've I've interviewed dozens of no budget directors, and they, I mean, it and some and they're all very nice, and they're most of them are very humble. But to a person, it doesn't matter. The quality of the movie could be one of the best I've ever seen in that kind of of uh, genre, if you can call it that, or the worst. But they all think that they've done something incredible and special. And there's and all of those sets had people clapping like, "Oh my God, I can't believe you you got that special moment on film." And then you watch it, and it's like, like someone falling over a rock or something like that. Right. Right. And. But, you know, that that's sort of the weirdness of uh, just making movies in general is that, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're trying to capture, uh, you know, this this idea you have of what is going to be entertaining or scary or funny or whatever. And it's so personal, you know, particularly for low budget films like this. There's a very personal element. It is truly an expression of what these people thought was a good idea. And in some cases, it is most certainly not. Um, in, in, in the case of cannibal camp out it the, like the ratio, I think tends to 
bend towards it's generally a good idea, even if the execution isn't great. Uh, and and that's kind of what makes it, you know, for me, a movie that it, it's hard to recommend to people because there are so many caveats that you have to you have to check off with a movie like this of like, all right, the acting's bad. The video quality is terrible. The music is going to make you want to punch a baby. But all that being said, there's something kind of unique about the movie, too. That's a really and, that's a really accurate way of putting it, which is that you ha- you can recommend it with caveats, but you have to have those there because depending on who your friends are and the kind of movies they watch, you put this in front of them and they'll be like, what the fuck did you ask me to watch this for? It doesn't even look like a movie to me. It depends on the person you're giving it to because this film yeah. was tailor-made for the 1980s. I mean, if you see the VHS cover box, it's a guy biting skin off somebody else's face like <laughs> almost seductively. And that on your VHS shelf is like, yeah, pow, rent me. You don't know how bad I'm going to be. Just come out and rent me. <laughs> and Video Stars bought that up. And I recently was at a Q&A with Jim Minorski, and he was talking about how Chopping Mall outsold Rambo First Blood Part Two because their VHS costs like $40 to go to the video store, whereas Rambo costs 80 bucks to go to the video store. So they're going to eat up as many of these 50-cent tour titles as they possibly can. Because odds are this was pretty cheap to get the video store. Yeah, I mean, if it costs more than a buck and a half, you got to question where their marketing was. Uh, but yeah, it, I mean, I I certainly picked it off a DVD uh, or not DVD, Jesus Christ, a VHS <laughs> store shelf when I was a kid, and it was you know it was on the shelf right beside like Cannibal Holocaust, and that's like a real movie. So <laughs> yeah. But I I really enjoy myself watching this, and I I like schlocky stuff like this though. So that I'm I'm that kind of audience, and it found an audience in me. So weirdly so. I'm not yeah. saying it's a good movie, but I'm saying it's it's it's, it's very passable to me, and I'd watch it again. You know, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I see your your sentiment from when you were younger, Bo, about the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. You know, when I watched it again, I saw all the 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 flaws in the movie way more than I did as a kid because let's face it I was probably drinking with friends but I you know I it held my attention and I, you know I I still feel like night warning is going to be the big winner of this episode <laughs> but you know I if hey you, don't give away your feelings on the final movie yet <laughs> sorry 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 push <laughs> push come to shove you know if I had to watch Cannibal Camp out again I I'd be okay with that because I know there are at least two or three scenes that I'm going to fucking flip my lid over because of just how weird they are. Yep, I agree. You know, totally. I guess we'll shoot right into ratings now. We'll start with you, Bo. Uh, what do you rate a one to ten? Yeah, I. You know, this is like a six and a half, which again seems weird in relation to the fact that I gave Night something question mark a, a seven, but it's a six and a half in that. I would recommend it, but there are so many reasons not to recommend it to someone. <laughs> yes. But it, but if I, it, I, you know, like Doug said, depending on the person and the people I know are generally weirdos and the unemployable. And those people, I would say like, oh, you should totally watch Cannibal Camp Out at least once. And I will include the link so you guys can watch Cannibal Camp Out uh, on the free. So enjoy, folks. <laughs> Douglas, what do you give my friend? 
Uh, I, uh, very similarly to Bo, it's a difficult film to rate because of those reasons, but I, I like to go with the, the kind of Roger Ebert method of, of whether the film is successful in what it's trying to do and whether it, uh, if you're the kind of person who would seek out a movie called Cannibal Campout, whether you're going to get pleasure out of that. Again, we've explained it, I think, enough to know that, that the people listening to this, they'll get a sense of it if it's something that's in their bag or not. Uh, with that in mind, yeah, I think six and a half is, is very reasonable. That's what I'll go with. Uh, as far as I go, if I have any big regrets about this film, I think that if it was like 75 minutes rather than 90, and if uh, they keep having a mama in the film, I wish they introduced like a mama character, like a, like a Drayton Sawyer kind of deal in, in this movie, and that would have been fun to see how sick mama was compared to the kids. Gary, are you, are you saying that we should kickstart a sequel to Cannibal Campout? Yes, or possibly a remake, just to, to make it more yeah. sloppy. <laughs> I, I, I would... I got to propose that the Cannibal Campout sequel is entitled Cannibal KOA. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for, for all that goodness, I, uh, I, I give it, I give it right around a six as well. Just to say, you know, watch it and, but go, go, go into it uh, very lightly people. Cause it's going to get schlocky really, really fast. And, and it could be a really, really wonderful way for you people. So Yeah. A six, yeah, it'd be pretty fair assessment for this film. I'm yeah. more, I'm more sentimental to my pit. Let's put it that way, guys. Okay, so I'm making it slightly higher, you know. <laughs> but um, with that, we'll end this segment, and we'll go into possibly some more messages for some people, and then we'll go into my pick, which is uh, Nightmare Sisters from the very same year, 1988. Uh, right after this. We are terror troopers. We are terror troopers. All right, a couple of terror troopers here. I am Boss Butcher, joined by the baddest man in podcasting, Willis Wheeler, the award-winning Willis Wheeler. And we're going to dish up for the the movie So Bad It's Good, our terror troop mascot movie from 2004, Blood Gnome. <laughs> <laughs> We love this movie. Um, the girls on the on the show did not care for it as much as we did. I, in fact, I think they hated it. Um, but here goes. Uh, I'll just read the synopsis on IMDb. When Daniel, a crime scene investigator, discovers the truth behind a series of bizarre sex murders, no one really believes him. It's uh, directed and written by John Lachago, uh, and I love this movie. He also did uh, Killjoy 3 and Killjoy Goes to Hell among others. But this, uh, I don't know, we've talked about it before, but briefly, Willis, what is it about this movie that we love so much? We love the practical effects of the blood gnomes and the little plot and the trick with the video camera and all the boobies. Oh, heck yeah. And they're in abundance in this thing. Now, it isn't a good movie. You know, it's it's low-budget um Really bizarre. I mean, you, <laughs> basically, this uh, this affliction or these attacks start happening in the uh, S and M community in this movie. It's really bizarre. It almost plays out like a commercial for that lifestyle in some areas. But the blood gnomes, the, the, I guess it's the idea, right, Willis? Yeah. The, the idea that you you can't see these little demonoid guys. That's what I like to call them. That they they're these little short, little sharp toothed little demonoids. And you can't even see them with the naked eye unless you've ingested a, a bodily fluid of theirs, which it turns out the main mistress in this community or whatever has this giant box with a tentacled monster that gives birth to these things. And then she 
dries out and grinds up the placenta and makes it a drug of all the damn things in the world. And then these people, when they're in these weird compromising situations, they can see them because they've, they've ingested this uh, drug. And, um, and the only other way you can see him is like this detective who just, he was not a detective. He's a police photographer. Basically he's just out of the loony bin and he sees him on this camera he got. And it was a real camera, a Sony camera. Um, they made a few years back that had night vision. The problem with it was, is if you ran it during the day, you could see through people's clothes and stuff like that. So they recalled this camera. So anyway, this camera is in this movie and that's how this guy discovers him and gets on the case of trying to solve this mystery. And it's, it's just, you know, there's some really cool monster effects and that is the definite strong point of this movie. And it, it just, we liked it. And, uh, so there it is our terror troop pick. We're in, we're united in this, right? Willis. Yeah. <laughs> Blood gnome 2004. Check it out. And, uh, I highly recommend it if you like these kind of movies, but thanks Gary. And, uh, have fun with your show, man. We are we are Hi, this is Brian from Evil Episodes Podcast. And Jamie from Devour the Podcast, Evil Episodes Podcast, The Skeleton Crew, Direct-to-Video Connoisseur, Liken It, and The Insomniacs Playlist. And we wanted to share some of our favorite So Bad They're Good movies with you. When I think of something that is so bad it's good, the first movie to pop into my head is Chopping Mall. Good one. Well, thank you. It is a quintessentially 80s film. It's a bunch of horny teens partying in a mall, and then killer robots come. And Barbara Crampton. And Barbara Crampton, showing off the goods. God, I love her. But Chopping Mall. Uh, You've got blood. You've got boobies. you got exploding heads. you got corny, cheesy lines. It is a good, good time. My So Bad It's Good selection is Jacko, starring Miss Linnea Quigley. And I'm sure this isn't her proudest moment, but I think it's a hell of a lot of fun. You've got some bad child acting, some, ah, hell, all the acting is bad, and the story's pretty crappy. But somehow it has made it into my regular Halloween lineup. Lastly, here is a bonus So Bad It's Good movie. Some, a film that I can never get enough of. It is The Stuff. Because with that film, enough is never enough. Come on, it's a movie about killer yogurt. Killer mind-controlling yogurt that chases you around like the goddamn blob. It is amazing. It is good, gooey fun that begins with some <laughs> a couple of guys walking through an oil field, find something bubbling up out of the ground, and decide to eat it. And it just goes from there. Makes sense to me. From- <laughs> from the stuff-spewing dog to chocolate chip Charlie's head popping open and filling a radio booth full of the stuff. It is a good, gooey, somewhat gory, and enjoyably stupid film. I concur. So, any one of these would give you a good night of So Bad It's Good Entertainment. We hope you like them. Hello, I'm Andy. And I'm Rachel. From Big, Big Horror, Horror in Little Podcast. So we kind of cobbled this together um, quite quickly. We kind of didn't no. realise that it was due. Um, we've been so busy with yeah. work and things that we just not had time to do this. So we just wanted to do a quick review because um, it was quite an interesting subject on obviously films that... Yeah, we had to rack a brain a bit, didn't we? Yeah. 
Because then... if we like think something's good, we think it's good even if it is bad. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It was difficult to come across a film where we actually thought universally this is regarded as shit, mm. um, but we actually really enjoy it still. And then you had a eureka moment with your marigolds on, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I was washing up and I thought, Seed of Chucky yeah. is awful. And it's excellent. <laughs> yeah. like we. I think the first time I watched it, because I am a really big fan of Chucky, I hated the direction they went with it and I actually turned it off halfway through. Mm. Um, and then we had our own little Chucky retrospective, didn't we? Yeah, we went through all the films, and I'd not seen Seed. So we went for Seed, and it, it is awful, but there's just some really funny bits in it. I mean, the fact that it's meta, and it's got Jennifer Tilly as Jennifer Tilly, talking about yeah. how shit her career is. I mean, it's got a little homage <laughs> to Psycho, killing scene. It's got a homage to... Shining, yeah. Where Chucky forgets the line. I mean, it's awful. It is shit. It is, but I mean, I, mean, I just also noticed there, didn't I? That we've always been laughing. We've always laughed about the seed, the, the child, and it was obviously a bit of a transvestite. And we just looked, didn't we? And it's the spitting image of David Bowie. <laughs> it does look like David Bowie. And, um, and obviously you've got the scene where he comes out in drag, which yeah, is hilarious. Which is brilliant. I loved it. I remember enjoying this film so much that I'm. I can see that it's bad, but at the time I had, I thought it was wicked. Yeah, you've got you've got Red Man. Never put a rapper in. A oh no, yeah, that always just ends in tears. trouble. Uh, you got um, throwing the Britney Spears over Hollywood, over the Hollywood Hills with the line. Go on. Oops, I did it again. <laughs> and you think, oh God, and I did just like I die a little bit of me dies inside every time one of these scenes come up. But when you compile them all together, yeah. You've just got to admire the fact that this film just didn't give a shit. No, and it maintained a really humorous thing between, obviously, between Chucky and the bride where they kept having these conversations about how they wanted to stop killing to be a good influence on the child. And then they were both kind of sneaking around behind each other's backs, still not being, you know, not being able to stop the killing. Yeah. Uh, I think that was really uh, humorous as well. And then there's a bit as well, the doll finds out that he's, I think, made in Taiwan. Yeah. So that automatically means he can do <laughs> automatically means he can do kung fu. Yeah. Which is really fucking racist. Yeah, because everyone in Taiwan can do kung fu. Like, everyone. Just reinforcing that stereotype that if you're Asian, you yeah. can do kung fu. Absolutely. So, oh my god. So yeah, in, in those sentences, it's pretty it's, bad. It's really, that pretty. bit. <laughs> pretty, pretty bad. And that just made me cringe. But then again, you just think, fucking hell. This- it's bad. Yeah, it is bad. But it's yeah. funny. I really laughed all the way through. It was. It was really entertaining. I think it's meant to be funny. It's got some gruesome kills and stuff in it There's as well. some really good kills in it mm. as well. Um, and for me, just any excuse to see Chucky on scene, on mm. screen, is great. So yeah, I'd like to hear what you guys think about Seed of Chucky. And mm. When you put all those little ridiculous moments... Together. Together. It yeah. actually makes for quite an entertaining watch. I think if you, yeah, if you, if you try and appreciate it as an individual film and not part of a franchise, which is, I suppose it always had humorous moments, but it was pretty dark, really, as yeah, well. but it was never just an all this, shit fest, was it? This, this was really, really humorous. So, as a black kind of comedy, yeah. I think it works really well. Yeah. So, maybe as a film, it's a four. But as I enjoyed it as much as an eight, maybe. Yeah, I would watch it again just because yeah. it's, just because it entertains me. So we'd be interested to see what you guys think to that one. Okay, yeah. All right, thanks very much. Thank you very much. Cheers, bye. bye. At the sorority house of Trieta Pie, it started out as an innocent college party. Why are you so worried? I just don't like it. That's all. I 
It's tampering with things that man is not meant to know. Vicky, it's okay. We're all here. Nothing's gonna happen. Elion, Satin, Tetragrammaton. Let's go visit the Triadopods. Sexual depravities like you've almost never seen on the screen. Sorority sisters transformed into lascivious lip licking embodiments of pure sensual evil. Nightmare sisters. Hey, Mickey, where'd you go? Let's get primitive. Possessed by a sex-starved demon from hell, they invade one of America's most cherished institutions. I don't care whether you believe us or not. I'm just telling you to stay away from those girls. Hey, that sounds like Phil's voice. Wait! I'm tired of this! We need an exorcist or something. That's it. That's what'll do it. Where's the spook? In the house. There are three of them. No ropes can hold them. No power can stop them. No arousal can satisfy them. What's happening? I dare to challenge you. I and all the forces of good. No one is safe in their coital carnage. They're unspeakable, unholy feasts of lust. Embrace and destroy all men foolish enough to excite them. 
before you accept that scholarship, you must see Nightmare Sisters. Alright, we're back with some beef and uh here with my pick for the so bad it's good movie. And uh my choice is the David Dakota production known as Nightmare Sisters from nineteen eighty eight. Uh plot synopsis uh, goes like this. Melody, Marcy, and Mickey are three geeky college girls who can't find a date. One night they invite some geek geeky college guys over and have a seance that results in the girls becoming possessed. And turning into sex-starved, well, they're not vampires, it's succubus, uh, will the geek heroes be able to stop the horrible question mark, possession question mark, you know? <laughs> uh, this film stars what I call the big three, in my opinion, uh, Linnea Quigley, Brink Stevens, and Michelle Bauer. Um, yeah, looking really good. It, it, well, I, I love Brink through this whole movie, actually, so I think Brink looks amazing throughout this whole film, even before they start becoming sex slave morons, and you know, and just it's it's a lot of fun then. But um, this movie was originally given to me by Rhonda Shear on USA Up All Night, breastless but happy, of course, you know. But it's a uh, it introduced me to this slapsticky, silly genre, and you know what you're gonna get right from the beginning of this movie where they got the whole. The, the, the Swami Omar doing his crappy seance thing with his crystal ball and uh, weird creature arms come out of the crystal ball and take his head off and the head is still talking to you. And yeah, you know what you're going to get. And you get into that great soundtrack. I, I love the soundtrack. I wish I had like this soundtrack like vinyl so I could play it in my house just, just, just to have fun every <laughs> once in a while and just turn the Nightmare Sister soundtrack. Uh the girls in this film, you, you you get what you get. You know, you, they they start out as like you know a very homely looking, Michelle Bauer looking like almost like she's in a fat suit, but then that quickly goes away when she becomes a sex star of succubus because somebody goes to uh, Brink Stevens goes to a flea market and gets a whole bunch of shit, including Swami Omar's possessed crystal ball, and so naturally they decide to throw a party. And invite, since they're the only ones in the house, because all the other sisters have gone away, to invite these three fellas over, one of which she was, uh, had a date with Linnea Quigley's character, and he brings two friends, and, you know, they're, they're unhappy about this, but, you know, how does he get some play if he doesn't get play for her friends? You know, obviously. Uh, so they're at this party, they, they play Twister, they have all kinds of great stuff, so they have the idea to utilize this crystal ball and follow none of the rules that they just, you know... And then Swami Omar starts talking to them, <laughs> and uh, they touch the ball, lightning comes out of the ball, and they become naked, sex-starved, and crazy pants. And then, you know, you get naked in the kitchen, naked bubble bath, naked, 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 naked. And I have a lot of fun with this movie. Uh, who wants to go next and talk about Nightmare Sisters? Uh, I'll go because I'm going to be an asshole about this movie. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and I, I will, I will admit that my assholishness, uh, assholishness. Um, I'm not sure that's a word, but I can say it and spell it. Um, okay. So I, I, I just don't like this movie very much at all. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's funny even though it's trying to be a comedy, obviously, but I think most of the comedy is kind of sexist and racist. 
And mm-hmm. I, I, I hate to be that guy, but I try to be very conscientious about portrayals of women in horror. Um, I, I think that horror can be very empowering for female characters, you know, i.e. alien or something like that. Even the final girl trope is, is somewhat empowering, uh, even though it gets a bit of a bad rap. But a movie like this is just kind of softcore porn. Yes. And, uh, you know, the the problem with the movie that I have mostly uh, they come out at night, mostly, um, <laughs> is that the movies sort of suggest that these are deplorable, unattractive women until they become possessed by a demon. But when they're unpossessed, they still retain their beauty and that makes it okay for the guys to be with them. And I think that's kind of disgusting. Um, I, yeah, I just, I don't like the way that this movie treats women. I don't like the way that the, like, I think the Omar character is offensive. Definitely. Oh yes. Yes, he is. Uh, um, I, I just, I think this is a movie that is incredibly dumb, but not harmlessly dumb. I think it's dumb in a very offensive way. And, you know, I found myself thinking, like, this is a movie that if it never existed on the planet, it's probably a better place. <laughs> no, your feelings are all valid. And, and I'm, not, I'm not telling you you're wrong at all. It's just it, it served a special part in my life at a certain point in my life. And I watch it today and I see everything you're saying. It's just like when me and John Cross got into the argument, not even the argument, the discussion about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I told him, I understand everything you're right and everything you say. It just doesn't change the deplorable fact that I like this awful piece of shit movie, which I think is 80 minutes of not cinematic gold, but cinematic. It, it entertains, let's put it that way. I, I don't know how to explain these things, but not necessarily, <laughs> not necessarily in like say, you know, I'm a disgusting person for liking this movie. It's just, no, I just. I don't, I don't, I don't feel terrible, but I know all the things you're saying are true, and I know all the things you're saying are true. It's just you know, it yeah. And I'm not, I'm it, not suggesting you're a bad person for liking the movie. <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying that if you had seen another movie instead of this one, you, you probably w- would have been better off. Yeah. Oh, I agree. <laughs> it's, it, there is, there is lots wrong with this movie. I think that. There's a lot of movies that you see at a very impressionable time of your life that you find yourself defending, even if they're indefensible sometimes. And especially when you're a less enlightened person when you first see it. And that can be really difficult to kind of uh, reconcile with the person that you become later. Uh, Now, I did not see Nightmare Sisters until this viewing of it. I've seen many David Dakota movies, and I do not think he's a very good director. No. And I think that a lot of the problems of this movie has are consistent across many of his movies. And uh, I think he has kind of a playful perspective towards sexuality, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, the good kind of playful necessarily. I also, and this is going to make me super unpopular, I think the big 380 scream queens are terrible. <laughs> I think that almost the movies that they made in the 80s, of course, they all made some great movies, but for the most part, their movies are all awful and their performances are all awful and they're only there to get naked or take their tops off. Yep. And I find that really 
You know what? I watched that documentary, Screaming in High Heels, which are about Linnea Quigley, Brink Stevens, and Michelle Bauer. And I went into it with a really open mind. And they use footage from this movie, a lot of it, in that movie. And they all seem like really genuine, fun, interesting, smart people. But that doesn't come through in any of their performances in a lot of their – I mean their 80s movies at all. Uh, and And I think that's a real – Shame, because I, I also find the term Scream Queen kind of offensive, to be totally honest, especially because of what it became and what it even especially what it represents now. I find that really shitty because that really does mean I make a lot of horror movies, a lot of low budget ones, and I take my top off. And that's all it seems to mean. Well, it doesn't it doesn't represent someone who just loves the genre and wants to, uh, you know, and, and has committed themselves to performing as well as they can in that genre. I mean, these. The, I mean, again, there's lots of great movies that feature Linnea Quigley and Briggs and Michelle Bauer, but I just don't. I don't understand why they have. They are held up as as this reflection of femininity at that time period when a lot of them have this same sort of kind of ridiculous perspective towards sexuality. Now, now I respect them as people, you know, but through through all these films that they've made over the years, which are very a lot of them are much like this movie, you know, but if they have come to the realization that they are boner fodder before the internet even happened and, you know, films like this were boner fodder before the internet even happened, you know, just like your Shannon Tweed or your Emmanuel or your whatever was on cable at the time that had breasts in it, ready, ready and available breasts for you to look at, you know. With that in mind, though, Gary, you watched this on Up Up All Night with no breasts in it. Yeah, but then I saw it on VHS later, you know. I know, but I mean that initial viewing. What were you getting out of it then? Right, because right. all it would be then. Well, <laughs> it's really just dumb. like Omar and them, like because you don't. How even do they get the... show it? Because like half the scenes have them topless in it. I mean, seeing the fact I don't even remember, but seeing the fact that USA Up All Night came out at like ten thirty at night, and by the time it was over, it was like I don't know, like three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you know, by the time you got to that second or third movie. You were so tired or you were so drunk that you didn't care what the movie was about. You were just watching this crazy movie that was on USA Up All Night, and she played some really schlocky shit on there. And I <laughs> yeah, respect it, her genuinely for doing that because it helped me in my formative years to watch movies like this and not necessarily you, enjoy them, but they were very entertaining to watch to me. I feel like you can almost argue like the the uh, Michelle Bauer scene where she's the jungle lady with the dude. Oh, yeah. Or banana. Yes, indeed. Like I, I can see an argument for that scene, but like the pie scene and the bathtub scene, it's just like, this is just like the video equivalent of a stroke mag and not a great one. That's all it was. That's all it was. And them to get food to themselves and go wash themselves. And, and that the other I see something else, man. <laughs> I'll tell you the thing that really kind of skeeves me out is the the scene with is it bring stevens who's wearing the little girl outfit yes yes absolutely oh, oh my god i think that is so uncomfortable to watch because there there is something about like sexuality being tied to very young girls that i find really upsetting and that whole sequence with her with the lollipop and all that stuff i was just like this is just pedophilia that's yeah, all that, it, like yeah, you could be. I mean, you could set that up in a, in a more mature movie where that's something that that is explained in some way. But because all it is is presented as this fantasy, then it's just presented as is, right? And that's what makes it really uncomfortable in that sequence. I, I've you see that in a again. It, it, this movie isn't so 
different in style from a lot of the, especially David Dakota's movies from that time period, but also, you know, Jim Wynorski's and Fred Olin Ray's of that time period and going into the 90s. And it all has a, this kind of playful, in quotation marks, perspective towards sexuality, but it's almost always female sexuality that it's playful towards. And, and like, the ending of this movie has so much, so, so much to... <laughs> offend it, it's it's it all kind of piles up on each other that said what really turned me off of this movie again was the first 10 minutes because it's not only is does it have that really disgusting performance of omar but it's also like super fucking boring that first 10 minutes seance scene oh, it is. it's not funny or interesting yeah like that is just filler and that i mean at least the rest of the movie you could make a case for there's something interesting going on even if it is offensive even if it is uh ridiculous or or goofy but oh. that first 10 minutes man is just death oh i was probably pressed for time for watching this movie so i literally skipped that scene because i knew what happened <laughs> i knew what happened to him with right, just a, people you know a, go- a god-awfully racist impression sure and I, right. <laughs> I clicked past that the, the opening credits. So I, I, I watched the opening credits because I, I, I love the music in this movie. I think that's one of the strongest suits of this movie. It has really fun. That that is very good. Part of this movie is that kind of rockabilly style soundtrack. And I, I have fun with that. And then in this movie, for I guess that's a, a shining point of this movie is the soundtrack. Not so much the dialogue. Not so much you know the scenes itself. Not so much your racist. Well, I mean, not so much a lot of thing in this movie. And now that you mentioned about the Brink Stevens things, I feel a little creepier being turned on by Brink Stevens in that scene. I don't know, if, but you know, we all have our fetishes about the schoolgirl thing, but not not little schoolgirls, but like grown girls in schoolgirl outfits, you know. But uh, it's just, and I, I mentioned, I, I shouted out to her on Facebook one time when I was watching this movie. I was like, I love nerdy Brink Stevens the best, and I put the picture of her, the three of them waiting uh, patiently on the telephone, you know, because I thought nerdy Brink Stevens was hot in this movie. Like, okay. I'll take that, you know. Yeah, the well, unfortunate, and, the unfortunate thing is the movie doesn't think she's hot, and no. that's a problem, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, the, the big problem with the movie is I would almost respect it more, or respect it in general, <laughs> if the end of the movie had been them returning to the state of their original characters and that being okay. Oh, yeah. You know, the, 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 very... the, the, the fact that if you're like... If you're nerdy or your teeth aren't right or you're fat, well, that makes you completely unattractive. And it's only through the course of the film when you end up being, you know, Linnea Quigley and Brink Stevens and Michelle Bauer that we can see you as people who are worthy of <laughs> of being found attractive. Yeah. That first conversation between the guys where they're talking about the girls, oh, yeah. that's a really uncomfortable sequence, too, because all it is is them ripping on them for being unattractive or having buck teeth or being nerdy or whatever. And it's just, you know, it's just, you know, it's one thing for them to then later show them to also have kind of boring personalities, like showing family photos. I mean, that's that's perfectly OK to show, OK, maybe they wouldn't be attracted to them because they're not interesting to them. But it really is very... Oh man, it's it's unpleasant, it, and it presents even these characters that you're supposed to like, which are like the nerdy guys. They seem just as shitty as the jockey dudes. Who, by the way, yeah. those guys are terrible actors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's not a good performance in this film, um, but yeah, they're yeah. Every, everyone is kind of bad. bad but yeah, they're <laughs> they're bottom of the barrel. But yeah, I mean, it's like if the jock characters are. The ones who are like super, uh, you know, very superficial and 
are just in it for, you know, the aesthetics of these women and so forth. And again, I'm being very high minded about a really dumb movie. But but, you know, if those characters are killed because of their perspective on these women, that's kind of an interesting statement to make. But yeah, Doug, you're right that the fact that the nerdy guys are really kind of disappointed with these these girls until they turn into the succubi, and then when they you know revert back to human form, but they're still hot, and they're like, you know what, ladies, don't worry about what happened. We, you're just right. fine by us, and you're like, oh, this is just gross. The anyway. I mean, then well, no one learns anything either, which is a really no. unfortunate. Right. I mean, right. The character arc is we're a bunch of horny dudes. We wish these girls were hot. Oh, hey, they're hot now. That's great. <laughs> we win. We're guys. <laughs> right. Well, e- good, even good even, for if, us. even from Jump Street, you know, after they, they made their big change into, you know, you know, I guess you're your attractive girls. You know, I guess you would call it. Although they were trained, they were attractive all along, actually, you know, but. They they were very awkward with them by saying you know something's wrong with these girls because this one was and the one that was with um with Michelle Bauer was they kind of connected the most in my opinion even though she was chunky but they were having like good conversation at this party they were having you know and but then it all changed and they're gonna play Twister and like he she might fall on him and there you go more fat jokes right, you know right yeah, yeah there there's yeah. a lot of a lot of fat jokes and like oh uh you know. Uh, bring Stevens character shows a guy all these pictures from uh, like a vacation or whatever. And it's like, Oh yeah. Why would that ever be interesting to learn something about this girl? You know, it's just like the whole thing is kind of vaguely disgusting when it's not being very pointedly disgusting. Um, yeah. But like, I'd say like two thirds of the way through the film though, they, they generally care about their situation, not their situation, but the girl's situation. Like they wanted to be all right. Well, yeah, you know, no, I mean, right. Because they find out that there's something very wrong with them, so they actually care about their welfare. That even even so, to call bootleg Father Marinin to save the day and <laughs> exercise this demon, you know. At least that guy's the least problematic character in the movie because he doesn't. He's so separated from all of the weird sexism that's going on. Yeah, and he, he takes American yeah. Express apparently, and he's in the yellow pages, you know. Yeah, it's it's a really shitty exorcist parody, but it, it yeah, like you said, it's it, it's the least offensive thing about the movie. Only in California, you know, <laughs> stupid. It's, it's it's so dumb. But like I said, that's the spirit of this whole show. Is it's so bad, it's good. And if anything, I I picked you know, not saying that it's good or anything, but it's so bad that for some reason I obscenely enjoy it. And I I know it's obscene. I know it's sexist. I know it's a lot of things. But for some reason, this this film. Out of all, pretty much all of Linnea's work has stuck with me the most. I, I don't know. Really, more so than something like... This is Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers, I think. Like, Return of the Living Dead is such a better movie, though. Yeah, but it's it's, it's more yeah. like an ensemble deal with that. It has Linnea in it. It's probably one of those memorable scenes in it. But, you know, as far as the Linnea vehicle goes, I think it goes to this. It goes to Sorority Babes and Slimebo Bullarama because she was kind of like punk rock in that movie not just like this goth girl like she was in that one but she seemed like more the most assertive role she i think she had was in sorority babes i think so i watched all these movies a lot between joe bob briggs and ronda sheer i've seen a lot of these movies a lot of times and 
not I don't know if it's for the best or for the worst, but <laughs> probably for the worst in, in, in some folks' opinions. But I'm not saying you know. But Linnea, Brink, Michelle, if you're listening, you help make me a man. And I gotta appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, my weirdly, mine was sort of the uh, topless scene in Fright Night, which mm. is brief but memorable for me because you know that played on HBO and oh, stuff. When he's, he's sexing her up, yeah, yeah, I remember that now. Yes. Well, yeah. Well, no, the the scene like when Charlie's looking through the window and the <laughs> the prostitute. Yep. Is you know he he's watching that whole scene, and that was a very formative pair of breasts for me. Where it was like, those are boobies and I love them. And any boobies that don't look like this are weird. You know? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm Canadian, so that shower scene from Porky's is the one that uh, it, it rushed me into manhood. <laughs> sure, sure. I've probably said this about four times in this podcast by now, but um, Joyce Heiser and just one of the guys, that was, uh, that was my <laughs> first pair of... Uh, Really, really and, good and, ones. Su- yeah, surprising and 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 really quality D- to be you know sexist in the spirit of the film we're talking about. Those are those are fantastic breasts. But um, yeah, I don't got a ton more to say about this film, but the the fact that it was made so cheaply, it was it was shot in four days and written in seven. So you know that should tell you something about the quality of this film. But uh, I yeah, think- I think they're credited as the four day film crew, and I was like, that seems long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that it overstayed its welcome in 82 minutes, in my opinion. I mean, I, I have fun with it. But um, since Bo is the most objective about this film, I'm curious to hear his rating first. What's your rating, Bo, 1 through 10? Uh, you know, it's a 1. I, I, I really, again, I don't mean to offend or anything. If, if you appreciate the film for your own reasons, I got no problem with that. But I, I think it's kind of gross on a philosophical level. <laughs> I don't want to pull the dick joke uh, on two podcasts, Bo, but my, my, my penis is asking why right now to you, you know, but it's it's, it's doing it in silence, okay? It's just it's, it's doing it in silence. Yeah, keep uh, – gag your penis. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's I, – I don't know what your urethra looks like, but I would assume a BB. Oh, it is, it is cavernous. Be... It was cavernous and sad at this point. No, I'm just I'm kidding. It's cavernous. <laughs> I, 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 res- I, I respect your, your your opinion, my my good sir. Uh, that That is maybe the best adjective you can use for a urethra. You know, how is it cavernous? <laughs> Douglas, what's your rating for this film? I am again. I'm going to compared compared to movies of the same same time period, or even like '90s Skinamax type movies, which were just as sexist but had zero entertainment value. There's at least some moments in this where I had fun because it looked like they were having fun. Uh, but but I agree with Bo that it's really problematic and it's hard to fully enjoy myself knowing that what I'm enjoying is something that kind of goes against my own personal perspective on things. Uh, so I'm going to stick pretty low, but not as low as one. I think I'll go with a, a 2.5. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go higher than, than probably all of you, but not, I'm not going to say this, this, <laughs> this is a nine people. No, I wouldn't say that at all. It's, it's, it's not, it's <laughs> not a nine. It's, um, it's, it's not, it's not a good movie. And I, I, I've come to realize that over the years that it's not a good movie. But there's there's something that keeps coming back to it, you know. It's just whether it's the soundtrack or it's just goofy, and it's it's a film made of the time that it was made because there's lots of films like this were made this time, and 
I mean, they had a whole, they had a whole series of angel films about a freaking, freaking prostitute. I watched all of those, I think. And, you know, t- <laughs> and they were bad, you know, but I watched all of them. And, uh, yeah, for all the reasons I mentioned, uh, this is about a four and a half for me. And that's going to seem really high to you guys. But, you know, but maybe, if it, maybe if that's we, still not super high. Maybe if we like <laughs> got together and got a hookah together and then watched Nightmare Sisters together. We'd rate it like a seven because this is like one of those good trippy type movies, you know. Like, I don't think it's going to change necessarily. You know the the things that we think are morally right. Or oh, you're smoking the wrong weed, then, sir. You know? <laughs> yeah, I guess so, right? Uh, is there a wrong weed? Oh yes, I've, I've smelled some some baggies that smelled like plain old shit, literally shit. You know, <laughs> like somebody yeah, put but... up some some fertilizer in the mix and said, "Okay, here you go." But you know that's. That's here nor there. I'm not. I'm not a drug baron or anything, people. But I have partaked. I've discussed this, you know. So, all right. Well, so I think we firmly established that Gary is a drug baron. Sure. <laughs> you holding? Probably. No, not right now, though. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't live in a legalized state, so it's it's tough. I don't live one either, so you know, I just <laughs> boom. But uh, yeah, with that and uh, drugs aside. We'll be right back to uh, close out this program. Hey, everybody. I'm Cootie. And my name is X. And we're the hosts of the Kiss the Goat podcast, here to tell you about our favorite movies that are so bad, they're good. You know, a lot of people refer to these kinds of movies as guilty pleasures. X and I are firm believers in pleasure. But you can take your guilt and cram it up your guilt hole. If you like it, why should you feel guilty about it? Which is why I feel no shame in my love for the 1971 movie Frogs. Sam Elliott. With no mustache. Plays a photojournalist documenting the effects of pesticides on aquatic life. When his canoe is overturned by a speedboat, the drivers of the boat take him back to their family plantation to get dry clothes. He ends up spending the holiday weekend with them. While strange things keep occurring, the swamp critters are more aggressive than usual. But honestly, not so aggressive that they would actually kill anyone. (laughs) And the poster art makes you think that giant frogs are eating people. (laughs) It doesn't happen. Not at all. In fact, most of the dumbasses in this movie killed themselves. Accidentally, of course, and they just happened to be in front of some kind of amphibious life form. Ray Meland is in this movie. He's always wearing a white linen suit and ordering members of his family around. He is a fantastic southern plantation tyrant. And even confined to a wheelchair, he still manages to grab enough scenery to chew. I really do love this movie, even though it keeps none of its promises. It sells itself as a nature-gone-crazy movie. Really, it's a people-gone-stupid movie with animals just kind of on the side watching them. (laughs) If frogs were able to give a what-the-fuck look, they would be doing it in this movie all the time. There are no frogs in my movie, though. My pick is from 1977. Best year ever. And it's Satan's Cheerleaders. Why does Satan need cheerleaders? Who cares? They're cheerleaders in little cheerleader outfits leaving cheers and shit. (laughs) Our poor little girls fall into the hands of a satanic cult led by the ruthless sheriff, B.L. Bub. We shit you not. 
all of these characters are great. The cheerleaders themselves, their ditzy coach, Miss Johnson, and the wacky cult members who actually end their curses with the phrase, Blessed Be. The total antithesis of a curse. And the dialogue is horrendous, with sexual innuendo so tactless and overt it ceases to be innuendo. I mean, at this point, the whole thing starts to sound like the punchline to a dirty joke. It's stuff like, maiden? I haven't been a maiden since I was in fifth grade. <laughs> or, or, our first black mass, just as the ancient prophecies foretold. <laughs> Trust me, these guys couldn't pull off a black mass if Anton LaVey himself rose from the grave and gave them printed instructions. Their hell foo is not strong. <laughs> Neither are their special effects, which those reside somewhere between red and blue film filters and macaroni art. Their pentagrams have what appears to be a squid eyeball in the center of them. And the ending is oddly happy. I mean, for a movie about nubiles and the devil, that's just part of its charm. Satan's Cheerleaders is a crazy mix of genres from horror to comedy, from beach movie to lost in the woods thriller. And it works? I mean, damned if I know how, but it definitely works. Well, there you have it. Two guilty pleasures we refuse to feel guilt by being pleasured by. Thanks for having us on the show. Hey, X. Um, Gary's going to pimp the shit out of our podcast, right? Oh, I'm sure he will, Cootie. Oh, yes. I'm sure he will. Hi, this is Stacy and Cindy from Creepy Kitch. Yeah, sharing our cold. Sharing our cold and our love for really bad movies. Yeah, see, see I think, I you know, there? maybe we could blame this cold on Troll 2. We, I think we should because everything I think should, we should be blamed on Troll 2. It's pretty awful. It's phenomenally awful. Yeah. So that's the movie we picked for you, Gary. It's Troll 2 because we just watched the Riff Tracks version of it. And it was epic. Yes, it was. And even the well, now while the riff tracks were hilarious, even that couldn't really save that movie. No, not really. But I, I got to admit, it was still kind of fun to watch. Sure, absolutely. It wasn't so bad. It's good movie because it's just it, it's unbelievably hilarious. Uh huh. And like everything, one, it has nothing to do with the original, and that kind of kills not me right there. Not a fucking thing. Not a goddamn thing. And two, it, it <laughs> what they like what. Two shiny nickels. That's what I think. Maybe. I don't even think they had two. I know. It was just. I think they had one shiny nickel and a slightly tarnished penny. Yeah. And uh, three, the acting was phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think basically instead of calling this troll two, they should have called this what not to do in a movie. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty fucking awful. <laughs> so. And the thing that astonishes the shit out of me is that. A couple of these people went on to, like, have careers. Only a few, though. Yeah, but the Not careers many. they went on to were fucking legit. The chick well, who played the daughter helped found, like, I think she helped co-fund uh, or, or co-create fucking tro- uh, Slam Dance? Or no, uh, slam Sundance. Dance? Sundance Film Festival. Oh, okay. I was all Slam Dance? And then the chick who played the, the, the Wiccan troll queen with the gray teeth is fucking banging Ving Rhames. Really? 
Yes, she's his wife. I don't know why that's kind of awesome, but well, I, don't I mean, know it's, why, but I would it is totally kind of fucking awesome. high fiver. I'm not gonna lie. I kind of want a fist bumper, actually. That's kind of I fist bumper too. I mean, not many people can straddle a bridge that fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it's Jeez. it's a pretty bad movie. It was made in 1990. It feels like it was probably made in 1981, judging by the way it looked. <laughs> Yeah, and, the film um, quality. I think what was so fascinating is like I, I even got even more of a love for this movie after seeing the documentary written all about it, which was that best worst movie. Right, which I still need to see. You need to watch it. It is friggin' amazing. It's it's like watching a train wreck, but not watching a train wreck. It's just a, it was a train wreck about a train wreck, essentially. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pretty much. And it was pretty just, much. Wow. All I can say is wow. But the um the movie itself is just stellar in its production values and <laughs> various. Oh yeah, oh more. yeah. And the yeah, uh, let's see. I just Go ahead. just so much of it is just so like what the fuck. I do like one part. I will tell. Okay, there are a couple of things in this movie that I unabashedly love. Oh please, please do enlighten me because there's <laughs> one, a bunch I do love too. You can't piss on hospitality. Yes, which is probably the best line in the movie. That is the best line in any movie. Uh, especially the, since he literally just pissed on hospitality. I think the best part of that moment leading up to the best line in the movie was it becomes this big moment of, you know, there, there's all these there's all this food on the table. And apparently the trolls that are not trolls, they're actually goblins. There's not a fucking troll in this movie. At Nary all, a one the name troll two. Nary a fucking troll to be seen. Troll to be seen. There is this whole moment where like a, the the goblin slash troll slash uh, hillbilly family are leaving the house, and they left out all this food. Now, for one, the food generously is probably the most gen- yes, generously slathered food. in green frosting. Yeah, it's like green frosting. I think the corn had green toothpaste on it. There was it looked unappealing, and I don't know who on God's green earth would think that would be a good idea to put that in your mouth. And two, not I. This whole moment where the little boy Joshua, who is our hero. Goes through this whole thing. And I about, use that term loosely. I use the term very loosely. He goes and sees his dead grandpa, who you see throughout the whole Constantly. Thing. So basically, the kid's like, you know, fucking early onset schizophrenia because he's much. having audio and uh, uh, visual hallucinations. Pretty much. And the whole, and, and the grandfather's all, don't eat the food. Tell them not eat You the have to stop the them. You have to stop them, Joshua, which we heard a lot. That was a lot. through over and over in the movie. So that is Grandpa Seth, no! Grandpa, no! But there was this whole weird thing where he's He's like, I have to stop them. I have, and he's like doing this like dramatic Shatner reading of I have to yeah. stop them. What? Oh do yeah, I do? they. I have to there stop was them. no such thing as too subtle for this kid. And the kid literally climbs up onto his chair, going, "Oh, what do I do? I have to do it." And then he just drops trow and pees all over everything. and pisses all over everything That's after Grandpa obligingly froze time for thirty seconds. Yeah. What no. I want to know is if you can freeze time for thirty seconds, why can't you freeze time for thirty minutes and you could just like throw all the damn food away with and you need not be involved exactly i it just makes me kind of go hmm, wouldn't that be better but you want to you want to drink you want to hear some milk in the you know the grocery store too yeah make so. sure you don't drink the fucking paint thinner that they've labeled as milk yeah and you want to you want to hear something really really hilarious oh, about this God, movie what? so i'm looking up the chick who played holly the daughter she recently yeah. became an instructor at and action actor studio in salt lake city that has become an instructor for for future actors I want you to take a minute and drink that in. Well, 
she was young. I hope that she learned some skill. That's all I can I sincerely that. hope she learned some skill. I did find out that the, the man who played the father, who also was a dentist in his small town that they of Nilbog, where they filmed the movie, which I don't remember the name <laughs> of the I don't remember the name of the town, but it sure as hell wasn't Nilbog, which uh, is Goblin spelled backwards. Who would have guessed that mother? Whoever would have pictured or picked that up. He was in uh, Ghost Shark 2. Oh, well. <laughs> Which is coming out this year. <coughs> I feel like I need to watch Ghost Shark 2. <laughs> I think I need to watch Ghost Shark 1 first. I saw I mean, parts of Ghost Shark. I don't want to miss any of the subtle nuance. You it's know what I mean? It's kind of amazing. You know, it's just like. Is that the one where the kid on the slip and slide gets eaten? Yeah, that's the okay, one. Okay, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I want to watch that. Oh, yeah. I, unironic- I not ironically want to watch that. Yeah, I, I kind of want to see it too, just to see what the fuck <laughs> happens. I'm like, hmm, what's going on there? so much yeah chaos. that looks pretty fucking hilarious and um that part um my favorite part of troll 2 which is much later on where we have our um our, our witch who pretty much has gone to every community theater uh shakespearean class ever yeah and basically offered. everything they told her not to do she absorbed she, she but you know i gotta give her credit she she was you know she was out there <laughs> She was oh, doing she was thing. selling it as hard she as she fucking could. It. She was selling it like her next meal came from it. And I got to give her kind of some sort of like, you know, credit for that. And um, I don't even remember the name of her damn character. Oh, Credence. That was the name Credence, of her Credence, right? And so she um, she ends up like somehow getting a hold of one of the head geek boys who um, there's that whole subplot about the boyfriend following the daughter and in an RV. Yeah. Also None of them look old enough to shit. drive for one. And two. And that, let's not this, forget their, their profoundly homoerotic bromance. There was a whole lot of homoerotic subtext going on. In yeah. That RV, I'm just saying there's a lot. I'm, there's no doubt in my mind that there was some sort of experimentation happening there. But um, I think it was Arnold was the name of the character they get a hold of. And he, um, they're run- he's running with some other uh, chick who from the trolls slash not trolls goblins and they're running away for their lives and they get caught by the witch who I guess is actually I don't know the queen mother of all the goblins they I really guess they call her us. the queen at one point so yeah. oh. we're not quite sure what the hell she is but she's pretty um, she's selling it and um, she they end up eating the the girl they turn they drink some horrible tea she turns into green goo and then he says probably has the best line delivery in the whole history of cinema of they're eating her and then they're gonna eat me yeah pretty much oh my god and yet he never puts the fucking cup down (laughs) not even once yeah i my my favorite was the oh my god groaned out i just want to see this the um the closed caption for that because you know it's G A W A A A A A D. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Like I, there's just so much fucking wrong with. Yeah. Well, all of this, this movie, movie, frankly. But but my other favorite part is I do like her freaking out about the cholesterol when he eats yes. all of the bologna ever between Think two slices of Wonder Bread. Think of the cholesterol. That was pretty epic. And I also like when the trolls are melting and that the one with the bug eyes that cracks Max up. Oh, yeah. When it, it's eye fucking pops. Laughing. Yes. That was pretty funny. That was pretty awesome. So, yeah, well, I guess our 10 minutes is almost up. So you know, we're going to so. have to um, recommend Troll 2 
to anyone who I will recommend Troll movies. 2 with a caveat. Well, I, I, I'm assuming <coughs> that the people who are listening to this podcast about So Bad It's Good Movies know what they're getting into. <laughs> if you... Oh, absolutely. My thing is, is if you have an appreciation for cinematic cheese, then my friend, enjoy. Yes. But otherwise, watch the Rift Tracks version of it if you're still kind of like cutting your teeth on. Uh, yeah. Or with friends. This is this is uh... drunk with friends. Yes, very, very drunk, fr- drunk with friends. This is not a don't don't take this one on by yourself if you if you're new to the whole thing. Yeah, it would just be bad all the way around. Yeah, yeah. I just I don't think you can come back from that, frankly. No, I don't think so. I think that's one you're going to be pretty much standing on the clock tower with a super soaker full of cat pee after watching. Yeah, <laughs> yeah screaming it's... that you could never hurt it as it hurt you. Pretty much, yeah. To that's steal the line from MST3K. It touched me. <laughs> it touched me where my bathing suit covers, yeah. and I didn't invite it. So, uh, yeah, so I guess that is our recommendation. So there it is. So thank you, Gary, for letting us have 10 minutes of your airtime to just to wax pathetically about Drag our vaginas all over everything. Yeah. Awesome. We love we're you, We're kind of why you can't have nice and, things. And uh, if you want to find us, we're our Creepy Kitsch podcast. So hunt us down. I'm sure Gary will let you know where to find yep. us. Yep. Just remember, Kitsch is spell, or spelled to look and rhyme with, with bitch. Yes, it is. And now so, we're going to go back to K-I-T-C-H. more cool medicine and um, yes. watching crap movies. So pretty much adios, everybody. Much. Buenos nachos. All right, guys, uh, that's the end of this program. I had a really good time, and I'd like to thank you guys for uh, coming on. And thanks to guys for sending me your MP3s of your favorite films like this. Uh, that was mo- mo- gratefully appreciated. You know, I I, uh, I message bombed you people to do it. You know, in a really rude way, and I apologize ahead of time. You know, but. Uh, are you talking to the audience? Or I'm, I'm talking to the people that send in the MP3s. You know, I kind of oh, okay. be like this mass message on Facebook like an asshole and say, here you go, guys. Can you, can you do this? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sorry. I give you guys a giant hug over the internet right now. But as far as uh, Doug and Bogo, uh, thanks, guys. Doug and Bogo. Bogo. <laughs> thanks, guys, for uh, coming on this program and uh, discussing these films and introducing me to these films. I, I really appreciate that. And, uh it was it was a good it was a good hour and a half or so. So, <laughs> uh, anytime. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, that was really fun. I, I I had a good time, and I'm and sorry for making fun of the movie you like. No, that's okay. Lots of folks make fun of, movie, fun of movies I like, and <laughs> I'm content with that. Next time we'll talk we'll talk about the minutia of, of uh, Star Trek Kabuki Man and YPD. You know how bad that is, but you know <laughs> with the flying chopsticks or whatnot, how racist that is. But uh. Yeah, we'll go from beyond that, and I'll basically let you guys push your stuff now. Uh, Doug, you got anything good coming up for your uh, programs or whatnot? Yeah, we just recently on No Budget Nightmares, we covered Violent Shit, the German shot-on-video movie from 1989 from Andreas Schnauss. Uh, We're actually on our next episode going to be covering uh, another classic, if you can call it that, the first guinea pig movie, the Japanese series. Uh, And uh, yeah, that should be coming out probably in the next week, week and a half or so. It's – we're actually – we usually stick with things that are a little bit more fun, uh, not so extreme necessarily, but I'm sure we're going to have some interesting things to say about it. Also, if you head over to Cult Movie Mania, you can get a copy of the uh, Cuban-American werewolf movie Light of Blood featuring a commentary from Mo Porn and myself, the hosts of No Budget Nightmares, and liner notes from me as well. And uh, keep an eye out over at dailygrindhouse.com for more and more writing. And, of course, me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly, T-I-L-L-E-Y. Great. Uh, Bo, push your stuff, man. All right. All right. I, I'm just I'm trying to think of it all. <laughs> um, okay. 
So, Duck and a Bell Come Correct, we just put out the uh, kind of October episode uh, of that where we talk about horror movies, which is strangely not everything we talk about on that show. Um, although we talk about Trailer Park of Terror and The Cottage, both of which, like, on that show, it's kind of interesting because I don't think we ever talk about a movie that I wouldn't recommend to someone. Um and then uh, Devour the Podcast, we're still doing Friday the, thir- the 13th uh, series, uh, which I've enjoyed surprisingly because I haven't seen it in years and years. And um, I'm not a big fan of slashers, which leads me to Lost After Dark, the slasher I wrote. Uh, you should totally watch that movie. Yes. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's playing the festival circuit. So kind of keep an eye out in your area. Uh, for movies like that we've got a big uh, distribution announcement to make about that movie soon but we're kind of waiting for our distributor to announce and then we'll you know talk about it pretty much incessantly uh and then uh grave shift we wrapped up the phantasm series and uh legion podcast go to legionpodcasts.com for uh this show and plenty of others and uh, follow us at Legion Podcasts on Twitter. And uh, I think that's it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, there's so much right now. Lots of stuff. There's so much, man. There's so much. And uh, as, as far as I go, uh, yeah, listen to The Bird and the Beard. I uh, got to get another episode out. We record on Thursday. The Bird has been ill, so we haven't recorded anything in a little bit. So that, that'll be coming out at uh, some point in time. Uh, there should be a second Cinema Beef coming out soon after this one because I was going to record a little solo cast for the f- very first time recording a solo cast and basically about films that are I've knocked off by Shameless and I'm going to talk a little bit about them. I want to talk about curtains without nobody yelling at me. Let's put it that way. And that's that's the perfect opportunity for me to rib on curtains a little bit and how much I liked it and then didn't like it really, really fast. And doing a solo cast, but you know what, Gary? You're wrong. It's like, nope, I'm not going to hear that. Okay, so there you go. Just... uh tell you right now the curtains even one of the films in that series along with a couple other other goodies for you people uh two drink minimum commentaries is still happening um we record again this friday well no 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 well, well possibly this friday i don't know but we're doing action month next month they're all gonna be like martial arts films starting with no retreat no surrender which has been in the can for like a month now so that's why we may or may not be recording this friday because you already have one done so Merry Christmas. It's a lot of fun with uh, classic 80s tropes that are pretty terrible, but but dancing and, you know, white guys doing karate. But, you know, you like that kind of thing. No Retreat, No Surrender is a film for you. Um, <clears throat> How can that not be your thing? Oh, it definitely is my thing. It might not be somebody else's <laughs> thing. I, I just mean in general. Like, if you hear, <laughs> hear a white guys doing karate, I immediately think, well, I should watch that. Well, that has morbidly obese white guys doing karate, too, so... Oh, Steven Seagal is in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. What else? There's there's other stuff too. You can find those shows on the Legion Podcast Network. And um, yeah, my other project is with uh, the awesome Eric Bergstrom, uh, the Sloppy Seconds, the movie sequel podcast, which can be found on the Horrorphilia Network. We just recorded episode three of that, which is our Scream Blackula Scream episode, which was a, a ton of fun. I yeah, think, and a, a surprisingly good movie, actually. I, I think uh, I think it's better compared to the first one. You'll find that out why in, in, in the podcast. We do a small review of uh, VHS Viral on there as well with uh, Boss Butcher of the Terror Troop. And that was uh, that was not so good, but you'll hear about that in the podcast as well. But um, all that good stuff, I'm on Twitter at GW. 
come join the respective groups. Uh, set of beef and sloppy seconds both have groups. Uh, promos are on the work for you who you though for those who use them for these respective shows. But uh, tell you whatever, get off my back. I'm playing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, all all that talk, all that pushing shit. I'm gonna go uh, hang out, go have a nice handful of peach pie, and uh, remember <laughs> always here at the Set of Beef podcast. If you've got beef, I've got the grinder. See you guys soon. What should I be? There's so many sides to me. I could be handsome or brave, a king or a slave. It's all up to me. So what should I be? What could I be? What should I be? I could be a scary vampire and turn myself into a bat. Flap, flap. Or I could put on some black pajamas Go as a big fat Halloween cat What should I be? There's so many sides to me I could be an astronaut, a robot, a hobo, a clown Or an alien creature going out on the town What should I be? It's all up to me What should I be? Let's go